love you and I thank you for every person that's here. So good to see Josue and Freddie. Ask right now that that you have mercy on us, O oh God, according to your steadfast love. As we look more closely at the ideas, the teachings of your servant Isaiah about confession, about repentance, and what it means to return to you. Abba Father, thank you that you are calling your bride to yourself all over this nation. Thank you so much. Please draw us by your spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last Wednesday, we looked closely at Isaiah 30. And I want to review starting at verse 18 again. And under, I want you to get God's heart. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. That gets at the heart of Isaiah, that God loves us. There's a longing for us. God is not cruel. God is not mean. He's not a cosmic sicko. God loves us with a, an everlasting love. And what he wants from us is to love him and to seek him, not in a partial, half-hearted kind of way, but as we'll look in, in Jeremiah tonight, he wants us to seek him with all our hearts, right? So it's not a kind of selective kind of obedience, um, but he wants us to love him with absolutely all our hearts. Now, by way of reminder, uh, Judah is warned against Egyptian alliance. Remember, if you're, if you're looking at the Mediterranean Sea and you're looking at Jerusalem, Israel, and you go north, you're, you're going to get into Damas Syria, Damascus, and sweeping way over to Babylon, uh, that big giant band of territory, that the Assyrians are now this global power and they're sweeping like a swarm of locusts and they're literally taking everything captive. They are dominating. They're the new political threat. By the way, speaking of political threat, did you see the news about uh, Vladimir Putin and what he has declared with Belarus? Did you see that, Josue? Mm -hmm. How many years to take over Belarus? The plan, eight years. He said, we will control mm -hmm. Belarus in eight years. We have missionary friends, the birds. Remember from Calvary Baptist? They went there to Belarus, and they talked about how politically uh, unsettled it was because Russia's right there, the great bear. And look what Putin's doing to uh, Ukraine. And he just announced, we will take over Belarus. It'll just take eight years. Political pressure, uh, the pressure of uh, regulating and controlling utilities, water. All you gotta do is break up the infrastructure Take out a few political leaders, and you can take over the whole country. Walk right in, and now you own Belarus. So this is what Assyria is doing. It's called hegemony, where nation A comes in and conquers nation B and makes it like itself. That's what Babylon did. So uh, Judah is in a panic. Now it's sweeping down to Jerusalem, and the land of Israel is literally panicked. As I'd mentioned uh, last Wednesday, that... When a man is scared, when he's lost, he'll tend to run faster and farther than, than he already is, making things worse. So um, there's the language of repentance. It's beautiful. Verse 22, 
Isaiah 30, 22. And you will desecrate your carved images, plated with silver, and your cast metal images, plated with gold. And you will scatter them as a filthy thing and say to them, be gone. Literally, get away from, from me, casting it away. Now, uh, continuing, this is, this is going to be new material. Verse 26, look, look at his description here. The light of the full moon will be like the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven days. On the day the Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the wound he has inflicted. This is the language of restoration based on repentance. In other words, God is going to judge Israel for idolatry, profoundly judge the political leaders and the religious leaders, huge indictments against the priests and the political leaders of Israel. You cannot separate politics and religion in Israel. They're one and the same. And he's using Assyria as his rod to, to spank the nation. And he's saying the darkness of all of that is going to go away and the light of the presence of God is going to be so profound, the light of the sun appears to be as bright as seven bright sunny days combined. In other words, it's poetic language. The glory of God will be shining down on Israel because God wants to have compassion. He wants to restore. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from a remote place. His anger is burning, dense with smoke. His lips are filled with indignation. And his tongue is like a consuming fire. That's interesting. His tongue is like a consuming fire. And his breath is like an overflowing river, which reaches to the neck to shake the nations back and forth in a sieve and to put in the jaws of the people the bridle which leads them astray. You will have songs as in the night when you keep the festival and gladness of heart as when one marches to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard. Drop down to 31. For at the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with the rod and every blow of the rod of punishment which the Lord will lay upon Assyria. In other words, God is going to punish Assyria when, when his purposes of judgment are over. God's going to punish Assyria. And I know that's complex and theology is complex, but the fact is God can accomplish two things at the same time. God can accomplish the, need, the needful judgment, judgment on Israel for her rebellion and her idolatry and then punish the very one that he ordained to punish Israel. God can do that. I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. God can. And, and we cannot uh, think of him as though he's evil because everyone will face the judgment of God no matter what. Everyone faces it. So, all right, let's talk about uh, our tongues in a consuming fire. Um, everybody turn to uh, Revelation chapter 1. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 1. All right? And let's look at the description of, of Jesus, of the Lord. Okay? And I want you to describe 
for me as you read the text. What is going on with the mouth of the Lord? Look at this. Verse 12, I turn to see the voice that was speaking. He describes, 14, his head and his hair are white like white wool, like snow. Okay. What do you notice about his mouth? Mm-hmm. What else? Look at verse 16. A sharp two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth. Okay. What do you think John is talking about? The Word of God. The Word of God. Okay. The Word of God, Freddie, is like a sword, right? And it is so sharp, it can separate not only bone from marrow, but it can separate a man's soul and expose the motives of his heart. Okay, That's how sharp scripture is. It's God's word. And so when he talks about that uh, out of his mouth is a consuming fire, it's another metaphor for the judgment of God just by what he says. Okay, Can we appreciate this just for a little bit? When you read Genesis 1, how does God create the heavens and the earth? He just speaks it. He has that kind of verbal authority that he can literally say out of nothing and say there shall be and there is. Let there be light and there was. You know, Let's divide the light, splits it and creates the sun and the moon and creates a concept that boggles scientists and philosophers and it's called time. The time-space continuum is created instantly because of a concept that says the evening and the morning were the first day time is born in our sense of what time is. So God has that kind of authority and he can speak a word of authority and cut so deeply that he will judge Assyria. He will judge Israel. In fact, if you remember in an earlier study of Isaiah, he's going to judge not only Assyria and Israel, but the earth and even the cosmos will be judged. And the host. And the host. Nothing escapes the judgment of God. Nothing. What's Philippians 2 say about Jesus in the name above all names? That one day, what? Every knee. Yeah. There will be cosmic submission <clears throat> To, to the Lord. So, all right. Now, did, did you see how long chapter 30 is? 33 verses. You see that? Okay. Now look at verse 31. Only nine verses. Okay. Why? What's going on? Do you notice anything? Scan, quickly scan 31 and tell me what you notice. Obviously, you've had to have a command of what's in 30, but what's that? Trying to flee. Yes. Yes. Actually, Stephen, you're right. It's an echo. In fact, Stephen, if you notice the format, you should have this in your, your version of the scriptures. It's in the format of poetry. So what does that mean? 
These are lyrics to songs. This portion of Isaiah is meant to be sung. Okay? To us, we read it. Isaiah would sing it to Israel. All right? So it's fascinating. Stephen, it's like you get the whole song in verse 30, and then you get this repeat, a condensed version of the song in verse 31. Everything's repeated. It's all there. It's fascinating. Right out of the gate in Hebrew, hoy, whoa, this is really bad. Whoa, something horrible is happening to those who flee in a panic, who flee to go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they're strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. They don't seek Yehovah. All right, so let's think about this seeking. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus is being accused of being a false teacher. And he says this, I'm not a false teacher because I am not like you. You seek the praise of men. I only seek to please and say the things the Father tells me. I only seek after my Father's business. Remember, he's, he's Luke 2. Uh, you know, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought it was you. Well, I thought it was with you. And all of a sudden, three days out on the journey, they've got to go all the way back, and they find him in the temple. And his mother is very upset and said, how could you do this to us? Just like a good mom, right? And Jesus says, what, don't you know that I had to be about my father's business? It's really beautiful language in Aramaic Hebrew. Don't you know that I had to be, at my, be about my father's house? The house of my father. That is an example how Jesus at the age of 12, right at the time in which a Jew would be morally responsible for the law, right? Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. He is saying, I will seek after one thing and only one thing, and that is to do the will of my Father. Matthew 6.21, Jesus gives us a phenomenal teaching and certainly has everything to do with theology, spirituality, but also psychology, where your treasure is what? Think about that. Think about that. Can you flip that statement and it mean the same thing? Where your treasure is, or what you treasure, there your heart is. Can you flip it? Your heart is where your treasure is, or what your treasure. Can you flip it and, say, and it mean the same? You actually can. In other words, the thing that is most important to you is where you set your affection, your heart, right? So where your treasure is, or what your treasure is, uh, a thing that you you value, like do not store up, do not store your treasures up in heaven, material things. He's talking about whatever you think is important and valuable. He said. What you set your heart on determines what's in your heart, right? So where your treasure is, there your heart is also, okay? So I heard someone say long, long time ago that we are as close to God as we want to be. Kind of think about it for just a bit. We're as close to God as we want to be. Do you think that's a true statement? We're saying want. That you want to be. We're as close to God as we want to be. Do you think that's true? You think maybe Josue think it's true? Yeah. Yeah. He seeks us. He seeks us. We want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So when we do, 
He knows when we're hypocrites, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Does he delight in the Pharisees? These people honors me with their lips. They say the right thing in public places, but their heart is far from me. Heart is far from, right? Remember Matthew 15? There's an argument that breaks it. Not an argument. Well, it is a bit of an argument. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are hungry, and they've been working hard, and they just sit down and eat. And guess what they didn't do? didn't wash their hands. And so the keepers of the law said, Hey, Jesus, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? Don't they understand it's going to make them unclean? And Jesus is real. And then he establishes the truth that uncleanness is not an outside thing that pollutes you. Like evil is on the outside and it comes in and pollutes you. He said it's the opposite. Evil is on the inside and it comes out. Because it's out of the heart come. And he describes this horrific list of things. Evil words, evil behaviors. It all comes out of the heart. So, all right. So, these people are looking to chariots and horses. You know, Egyptian, Egyptian military. Phenomenal military equipment in its day, right? The chariots of Egypt. You remember the story, the Exodus and all of that? And their chariots, right? Can you imagine... Uh, the temptation to turn to things. What if China does land on our beaches? The unthinkable. Russia and China literally become the global axis of power. And it's the little old U.S. against China and Russia. And they land on our beaches. The unthinkable happens. Are we going to turn to our version of chariots and horses? which is going to be F-18s, you know, all these things, and our, our, our tools and our toys. Um, and is it going to help? I mean, it can be a horrific mess. And God is saying, you're setting your heart on the wrong things. You do not look to the Holy One, Kadosh, and you don't seek the Lord. Uh, everybody turn to Jeremiah. 29. I know you guys know this. It's just good to see it. It's good to hear it. Jeremiah 29. Yeah. Verse 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I'll listen. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 14, I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God's heart is a heart of restoration. So, but he has to be number one, as Freddie said. Yeah. And yet, this is back at Isaiah 31 too. Yet, he also is wise and will bring disaster. And he does not retract his words. 
he will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of injustice. Then he confesses, now the Egyptians are human and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. For the Lord will stretch out his hand and any helper will stumble and one who is helped will fall and all of them will come to an end together. God will judge the very people that are punishing Israel. All right, look at verse four. This is going to be your first interpreting burden. You ready? Like a lion that growls over its prey when a band of shepherds have been dispatched to deal with a lion. Who's the lion? Who's the prey? What's going on? Who's the lion? Who's the prey? Isaiah 31, 4, and 5. Hmm? Okay, the evil one. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. First Peter 5, you're borrowing from that, yeah. So is there another interpretation? So is the lion... With the Lion of Judah, that's good, Freddie, yeah. Okay. So is this Jehovah, is this the Lord growling over Israel that's been wounded? Growling at Syria? Enough. I am I'm going to come between you and and the abusive enemies that are coming. I'm gonna protect so in this instance God's protective. Or or is it the opposite? Assyria is the lion. And Assyria is going to tear up Israel. Well, it's kind of cheating, but in, in, the, in there you see it says, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, then as he, but it's like a capital E. Okay, good, good, you're reading, that's good. <laughs> Serena, I saw, I saw that. Well, mine's not capitalized, but it says he will not be terrified, and then compared, so, so will the Lord of armies come down to before. So the line is the Lord. That's good. What about verse 5? Is there a clue in verse 5? Michelle, what do you think in verse 5? It says, like birds are hovering, so Yeah. So in this instance, the lion is the Lord. Yeah, not, not Satan, not the enemy Assyria. It's the Lord and saying, Assyria, you have no idea what you're doing and it's going to be really bad okay so let's continue this verse 6 return shuv if you remember that shuv repent return return to him against whom you have been profoundly obstinate you sons of Israel so now we're identifying sons of Israel who've been hard hearted and and stubborn toward God return repent shuv Verse 7, for on that day, every person will reject his silver idols and his gold idols, which your hands have made for you as a sin. Stephen, it's the exact language of 3022. It's exact language. There's going to be repentance and revival in Israel. And the evidence of that is the getting rid of the idols, cleansing out the idols. By the way, Bruce, that's a great idea for Lent, isn't it? You know? That we're going to cleanse out the idols, things that are becoming 
more important than our devotion to God, right? And that's the idea of Lent, that we're going to say, you know what? I recognize this has been like a gold or silver idol. This is this has taken up residence in my heart, and it's not good. I'm going to get rid of it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing, okay? Um, verse 8, and uh, Assyrian will fall. Look at verse 8. What's unique about verse 8 and the sword? Exactly, Freddie. In other words, it's an, not an Israeli swinging about the sword. So what is it then? It's God. God will, will use a sword to judge Assyria. Does that sound familiar? The word of authority. God's sword, right? Okay. It is, you know, you think about it too. What does man love to do? We like to, the man as a general, we as a general, like to prove that we're better than God. Oh, sure. And sure. constantly, that's, you can think about it as also as that way that the, the people, special people of Syria, seen themselves higher, higher than God. Yes. And that was their sword. Their knowledge was their sword. Yes. And it's nothing compared nothing. to the knowledge and the grace and awesome yeah. thing that God, yeah. God's sword. Yeah, that's that's actually good uh, that you pick up on that, Dave. Look at thirty-two six, thirty-two six. For a fool, a fool speaks nonsense, and his heart inclines toward wickedness, to practice godlessness and to speak error against the Lord. This is what you just described. We know more than God does, right? Notice now. This is where we get into a political statement that judges the leaders of Israel, because these. These kings, these princes, and these priests are corrupt because they're keeping the hungry person unsatisfied, withholding food from the hungry, withholding water from, uh, from the thirsty. As a rogue, his weapons are evil. He devises wicked schemes to destroy the poor with slander, even though the needy one speaks what is right. That's fascinating, and you, you understand these things, Amy, that this is judgment language against the abusive leaders of Israel that are making the poor suffer, even though, and there's political corruption in the courts, so that when the poor and the abused are speaking truth, the judge and jury and attorneys are hearing nothing of it, and they're using slander and wicked schemes to bait and switch. Look at this at verse 8, and we'll stop here. But the noble person devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. I, I love that because we don't have to be corrupt, do we? We don't have to get on their level. There's judgment against women. It was, you know, first the reference is, you sons of Israel... And now it's you daughters of Israel. Verse 9, 39, rise up, you women who are at ease, and hear my voice. Listen, by the way, this is a song. This is meant to be heard as singing and not as like I'm reading. Uh, you complacent daughters, within a year, in a few days, you will be troubled, you complacent daughters, for the vintage has, is ended and the fruit gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease, 
you troubled, you complacent daughter, strip, undress, and put your sackcloth on your waist, beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the land of my people in which thorns and briars will come up. Indeed, all for all the joyful houses and for the jubilant city, for the palace has been neglected and the populated city abandoned. Hill and watchtower have become caves forever, a delight for wild donkeys and a pasture for flocks. All right, a quick comment here. Uh, Isaiah is talking about women and vintage. What is that? For the vintage has stopped and the harvest. What's he talking about? Vintage would be wine. Grape harvest. Your vineyards, the grape harvest, it's going to be destroyed. Yeah. And like you were saying before, that's their. What's that? That was their shining thing. Was oh, Israeli wine was one of the best commodities, and especially out of this region. And has anybody seen the chosen and seen the scene where Peter's wife is trading grapes? Did you see that? It's actually I don't know if you saw that, Amy. It's one of I think season one or something like that. But there's a scene in which she's doing that, and that is historically very, very accurate. Women would, would you know, kind of gird up their dresses, and they would crush grapes with their feet. One of the ancient ways that you would crush the grapes. And it would run uh, through a channel and be caught in, in uh, large jars and then brought to, to uh, place where it ferments for a few days and then it goes right into the wineskins and there's a hole in the wines in the wineskin for the gases to escape because it ferments and becomes wine and what's interesting is uh, there's no language of shame against wine production there's no language of shame at all at all what's the language of shame here Huh? They're spiritually, they're spiritually compromised. Right. They're at ease. And they're going to lose the thing that God blessed them with. Yeah. This is the land that overflows with milk and honey. This is supposed to be the land with abundant crops. Remember when, when uh, during the Exodus, when they're taking the promised land, and the spies came in, they took, what did they take in? Back and said, look what we found. What, what was it? A huge cluster, a bumper crop of grapes, like between two poles, men are carrying these grapes, right? So the blessing of having vats that, are, that overflow with new wine is a sign of the blessing of God on Israel. When it's all destroyed and there, there is no treading of the wine, of the grapes, this is the judgment of God. God is withholding his blessing on Israel and, and your land essentially becomes desolate. Now, verse 17 is beautiful. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful settlement, in secure dwellings, and in undisturbed resting places. And it will hail when the forest comes down, and this city will be utterly laid low. How blessed will be you, or will you be, you who sow beside the waters, who let the ox and the donkey out freely. Assyria will be judged, and God will restore Israel. And it's going to be a beautiful day uh, when that happens. So, okay, 
So what we're seeing again and again in the writing of Isaiah is the call to confession and repentance. Final comment. Back at 32, 1 and 2. Behold, a king will reign righteously and officials will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in an exhausted land. Who is he talking about? The king that will reign righteously. Who is that? Hmm? Um, I, which is a great question, and the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it's all, it's, that one's real complicated. Uh, this is Jesus. He is the righteous king. Prophesied cha- in, in chapter 9 that uh, there will be a son, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will establish a government that will have no end. There's your hand at the millennial reign. In, in Isaiah 9. And this is more language that God will bring his righteous servants. So it's beautiful language, absolutely. So, okay, um, as we tied off uh, 30 and looked at 31 and 32, do you have any questions or anything that the Lord has spoken to you tonight that you can share with us? Wisdom, uh, prophetic words, discerning words, encouraging words on how we don't want to go in the way of Israel. We don't want to run to Egypt. We run to Jesus. We run to Kadosh, the Holy One of Israel. We go there. And I need to seek Him and seek Him with all our hearts. Anybody?